Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Happy Spring Improvement, nerds. Excited to be coming back and having another episode with a guest you're very familiar with. Um, If you didn't sense in episode 40 that Mary and I had a lot more nerding out to do, and towards the end, we wanted to keep going, but out of respect of uh, your time and also um, trying to keep things less than 75 minutes per episode, we wrapped it up quick. And then in our follow up with each other, we continued the conversation. And there's like, there's, we just, both looked at each other and said there's so much more juicy stuff that we have to get to let's consider another episode and as such we're now producing this bonus episode and I'm so excited to have the chance to to nerd out with you again Mary. Thank you great to be here Tom happy Monday. Yes so um it's Monday of course yeah thank you after um the spring ahead moving the clocks forward so but I saw you had a big cup of coffee yeah, I've got a cup of coffee. Yes. And um it's fueling ready for more. Yeah, it's ready for more coffee. It's fueling <laughs> this episode. So in the previous episode, episode 40, I'd encourage our listeners to go check that one out. Uh you gave us your introduction, and we don't have to rehash all that. If they want people want to know more about you, they need to go back and check out 40. So I think for fun. Let's do an icebreaker has our introduction. And I wouldn't ask you to do something I wasn't willing to do myself. So our icebreaker is going to be two truths in a story. And I'm sure you facilitate teams, so you know this game. Um, but maybe our audience doesn't. So do you um, you want to give us a quick elevator speech on what this game is? All right. So you need to figure out of the three things I'm about to tell you, which two are true and which one is um, not so true? So, so I've got three um, quick stories for you, Tom, and you tell me which one you think isn't true. So one is when I was in college, I went on vacation in Hawaii, and my friends convinced me to go skydiving. So that is uh, my first story. <laughs> my second story is um, I was on the soccer team in high school. I actually played soccer all through high school. And uh, I was very athletic. You would never, you would never believe me probably, but that's my, my second story. And my third story is um, more recently when I was in Costa Rica on vacation, uh, somehow managed to um, have a driver who was like drinking the whole way that we were going on an excursion. Um, and we got into a car accident. Yeah. So oh, what do you think God. of my stories? Oh, uh, well, one, I like that you wrote them down because I couldn't see, um, you know, if you were doing the thinking, like you you should be in acting, like that should have been another one on here is like you had stage <laughs> presence or uh, you were in theatrics at one point because it was hard to, I was looking for it. I'm like, where's her show? Right. That I didn't see on. Um, poker face I have, right? So I'm going to guess you did play soccer. Okay. Um, and you did go to Costa Rica, but there was no way in heck your friends could ever convince you to jump out of a plane. How did you know that? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I was just trying to think like, there's so many things, there's so many things to do in Hawaii that, um, like maybe you were in a helicopter and you flew over the volcano uh, so you wore up and you did do something scary around like your fear of heights, but you weren't going to take it that next step forward and, and jump. 
Well, you were totally right. I have like an incredible fear of heights and I would never for a million dollars, I would never jump out of a plane. I, um, <laughs> I wouldn't either. I, when we, so when you went to Hawaii, did you go and uh, tour some of the volcanoes and do a helicopter flyover? Yeah, I, we went near the Grand Canyon and it was an option to do a flyover. And I just, I, I chickened out. I couldn't do it. It's I, unnecessary. I <laughs> you can see it from the ground. I, I don't even like to see it from the ground because the handrails, like they're, they're they need some updating. Um, the, the, yeah, the the jiggly, yeah, you know, yeah. The, what gets me is those like lookouts where the the floor is glass. No, thank you. Why? Why is that necessary? It's unnecessary. <laughs> I saw the billboards for that experience at the Grand Canyon, and um, it gave me anxiety. Yeah, been, as I'm getting older, my fear of heights is turning me into a complete chicken. But yes, do you like do you like roller coasters? Um, I did not used to like roller coasters. I have gotten a little bit better um, just by, you know, sheer like peer pressure. But I, I think like is a strong word. <laughs> I've One of my favorite rides is the Tower of Terror at the um, Disney park down in Orlando. Yeah. And I just think it's it terrifies me, but after I get off that ride, I would just have so much energy. Yeah. Um, like I don't get it. Yeah. All right. So I suppose I'll do my two truths and a story and I'm going to read from a piece of paper too, so that you don't get any benefit. Um, so my first story is I'm a two time Ironman athlete, uh, in two weeks. So I did one, and um, they altered the course. And I was like, that that counts, but I want to do the whole thing and you know get my money's worth, suppose, or get my suffering in. So I did another one two weeks later. Um, okay. We're raising twins that are identical and mirrored twins. And despite that, they're complete opposites. Um, although they look identical and I still struggle to tell them apart. Um, their behaviors are very unique. Uh, they are, it's so interesting. One is um, kind of snappy and a little attitude. And the other one is just like a teddy bear. And then our last, my last story is that my name was bet on a, the Super Bowl. So um, the family name, there was a lot of Thomases and there's even Tomei's. And my mom wanted me to be called Justin and my dad wanted to be called Thomas so they bet my name on the Super Bowl what one would be my legal name wow and that was that okay I feel like you would do the Iron Man thing twice in two weeks it yeah. wasn't it wasn't my doing I didn't want to do Iron Man to start with but my wife is a monster and she okay. had already done one and all my friends were like are you gonna do one too and then my college roommate <laughs> Um, no pressure. Yeah, he, my college roommate, he added to it. He said, I'm doing it. I want you to really think about doing it with me. I think it would be an awesome experience. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm amazed I was capable of doing it. And uh, it's amazing what you're capable of. Okay. So that's a truth. I know you're raising twins. And but I, are I, they mirrored? Maybe not. <laughs> But I know that um, I know the personality things are true. Um, I'm going to say that your parents did bet on the Super Bowl on your name. Yes. They did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all really good stories. Do they, um, they actually, my mom called me Boo Boo until, no. yeah. Until I was like seven, and I thought it was because I was accident prone. And I asked her, and she's like, "No, sweetie." So, like, bet on my name. My nickname was Boo Boo. I'm like, "What is going on?" Right, being a child of the '80s was hard work. I'll tell you. Double nicknames are the best, though. I know. <laughs> like everyone in my family had them, you know, like the double nicknames. And if you didn't have a double nickname, there was like a, a lack of affection there. Yeah. So it's yeah, just. That- a- 
kind of love their love for you. Carolyn has nicknames for all of our boys. Uh, there's like Hag and Tom, uh, Katie Bug, and Rosie Rooster. <laughs> so yeah, our the the boy the twins. She we when we found out we wanted twins, we're like, please don't let them be girls. Although I would have been happy with a healthy child either way, and. Um, because she wanted girls, but didn't want girls, like their nicknames are girl, girl names. So there's Katie, and which a lot of people, you know, if your name's Catherine or Kathy, you know, also Katie's in the mix. And then Rowan is Rosie. So, you know, but and she's like, well, do you think they're going to get beat up in school? I'm like, hey, the rule in school is you don't mess with twins. Like every boy knows you don't ever pick a fight because there's two of them. So they'll, they'll them. be just fine. They're going to lose. And they're monsters. They weigh like, uh, they now weigh more than our seven-year-old. That's pretty impressive. Uh-huh. That's pretty Cause, impressive. Because twins are normally small, but these guys like, and they yeah. both want you, they're like, carry us because they'd like to be carried at the same time. Yeah. That worked like two years well, ago, but... It's even harder for me with my my baby and then my four year old who suddenly wants to be carried. Um, I don't think that our bodies are designed to carry <laughs> four year olds, at least not mine. So, but I've had to do it to avoid double meltdowns a couple of times. So, yeah, I felt like an Iron Man when I did. I I bet. Did you? There's um, solutions. There's like hiking backpacks and baby bjorn so like you could put one in a backpack and then you could put one in the bjorn oh that's smart that'll definitely up your status okay i'll check that out yeah instead of going in the gym and you know getting in your your spinning class you can just start toting around your children in a backpack right (laughs) and then it could be like a competition sport you know like we can see you know you'll see like parents running this race with like a seven-year-old strapped to their back and like (laughs) isn't that um one of those unique sports where maybe overseas it's like blogger a lot old logging sport and it's like you has the gentleman carry your wife and like they're on your back and you got to jump over logs you got to wade through water uh so you know i think we could bring our we could do the stateside version and it's right i like that children (laughs) And then you'd have to like starve your children so as, as part of the preparation for the event. Yes. So they need to be as light as possible. <laughs> yeah, like they go through a fasting regimen. Right. Like lean and mean. <laughs> Mine is already on that, by the way. She doesn't like anything to eat except cookies. So oh, just take away the cookies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be fine. Our kids live off of um, corn dogs. Oh, that works. Yeah. And has a person who likes efficiency, you know, like waiting for an oven to preheat and all that. Like there was just too much production and giving them their their favorite meal. So we invested in a a countertop um, air fryer. Oh, yeah. 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 So there's economies right there. I don't even know the last time I turned on my oven. Corn dog in 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty pretty uh foolproof too so there's some nice. poke there's some poke yoke in regards to good parenting hacks mm-hmm. whole podcast from that yeah i you, you know we could but you're right we promised at the kickoff we promised people we were gonna revisit leadership speech act so i suppose we should get to that because okay. there's okay. there's things that we want to offer that i think can, complement our previous conversation so let's remind people of our previous conversation what we talked about in episode 40 the leadership speech acts yes yes so i think um, we got really jazzed up in talking about the power that we all have regardless of where you are what you do what your title is we all have this incredible power invested in us in the words that we say in our speech what we say and how we say it can bring together a vision or a dream that we have for tomorrow into a reality uh, that otherwise may have not existed. And I mean this on the most fundamental way. I think the example that I gave in the last podcast was as simple as, you know, wanting the trash to be taken out and having a, a tomorrow where the trash can was clean and empty and the, the basic act of using my speech in a way to motivate and inspire my husband 
to take the trash out. So I, I get really jazzed about, about this topic. And I think there's, we could talk about this for hours about different strategies and how we can use our speech um, to create that vision and make that vision become a reality. I remember, you know, we had talked about it from a personal and a professional perspective, right? So shaping your vision for your household or your family, or even for your organization, these tools help you to convey and inspire and connect and, and get collaboration where otherwise there would have been confusion. So it's a very, the leadership speech acts are very powerful. And you talked about taking out the garbage, but leadership speech acts, you know, has they showcase or they educate people on them. Sometimes they reflect um, to how they've been used in our past and our history and our uh, major accomplishments. So is there any, like in, in your development, any one leadership speech act, uh, a, a thought leader that said something and you're like, yes, that's, that's it. That's, I want to be like that. Uh, there are many. That's a great question. I think like the the person that motivates me the most on this topic is uh, definitely one of my mentors, Dennis. Uh, Dennis Wagner is a like machine when it comes to having this toolbox of speech acts in his, you know, in his in his hands and using them with system and method, as he would say. Um, he is just such a great example. And there's actually a book that I really like. It's called Language and the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. They do such a nice job of um, of describing these tools in a really compelling way. It's a really beautiful and easy read. I love that book. It's one of my favorites. So I would, I would highly recommend that book. Yeah. So that it was... Um repeat that title one more time for those. Who... So it's called Language and the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. I think I bought an electronic copy on, on Amazon. Um, it's such a nice read. It's such a great read. And there's, there's plenty of other uh, good books, I think, on the topic of uh, speech acts, but this is probably one of my favorites. Great. Is it one you could read on a plane ride? Or is it more like a weekend versus? I would, I would do it in like maybe two or three sittings. Um, but it's also something that I've gone back and read, reread certain sections. So it's like a nice book to kind of keep handy on your desk kind of thing. So you can refer back to it. Awesome. I love yeah. books like that. I have Wait, plane rides. What plane rides? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, back in the day when you would travel and do public speaking and whatnot, um, I was I was reading a lot of books when I was traveling because I would open them up and read on the plane and yeah. jot notes in it. And, you know, that was really my time was when I was in the air. And now... <laughs> I can yeah. miss it, you know, re reading and not having interruption because I'm not a, I'm not a very strong reader. I, so I need complete silence. Yeah. And a plane, what kind of gave me that, I, you know, put my yes. headphones in and um, people would- No distractions. Yeah. They would respect like that guy's in his nerd bubble. Just let him be. <laughs> you can also check out, well, I guess you're like me, you work from home, but we don't have the benefit of a commute into the office. But I used to get a lot of reading done in the car with like audiobooks. Pretty sure there's an audio version of this book too. So people could check that out too. Yeah, great. So we unpacked, we don't have to hit all four of them. Um, what, there was key topics we hit on. And then, yep. So for those people who you know need to be reminded of those, what were some of the big uh, rocks of our previous conversation. So one of yeah. the key speech acts is creating or um, setting forward a declaration. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like casting or, or shaping your vision and putting it out in the universe. Right, exactly. So declarations are very powerful when you acknowledge or um, state kind of a truth and you bring people together around that declaration. It can be very, uh, it can be very, what's the word I'm looking for? 
like bringing a bunch of people together under the premise of a declaration. So it can be very unifying in, in bringing people together. It's very powerful. We also talked about requests and offers. This is, um, I think, so basic and yet so critical where we're looking for what is it that I can offer to others that would be useful to them in achieving their mission and their purpose and getting something that they want and making those offers, um, but also making requests so that together we are supporting each other, leaning on each other, and hopefully accomplishing a unified aim as well. So we're working together in a system, as a system, in requesting and offering and in um, securing commitments, really, to generate results. It can be extremely powerful. Yeah, that's the compounding effect of uh, and growing uh, one's relationship and strengthening trust, right? Like the initial request an offer, um, especially if it's two people working together for the first time may, may feel mm-hmm. a little awkward and there's some uncertainty and the two individuals are going through that formation process. So, you know, there's storming and a little bit of conflict that's probably going to happen. But on the other side of that, when they, you know, both fulfill those obligations, the outcome is often strengthening of their bond and uh, stronger relationship and stronger trust. And now those two have based on that trust in each other and they're now more capable and can go after more complex change or take, take more significant risk. Yes. Take on a bigger challenge. And it really speaks to like what, what's, what is better, right? That one person who might have an incredible vision and has to figure out how to do that on their own or being able to, to mobilize a team of people, a group, you know, like, obviously that's way more powerful. You've got more horsepower there. Well, I guess it wouldn't be horsepower, but you've got more energy, people power. Yeah. So like that's, you know, getting that trust, earning that trust, um, establishing that is huge. And it's also really important in um, getting buy-in so that you can work together uh, to accomplish, again, whatever that aim might be. I love it. And once people unite and, you know, work together successfully, don't underestimate or take it for granted that that person knows that they're appreciated, right? So one of the last components of the speech act is that element of gratitude, bringing it full circle to, to... Recognition, acknowledgement, absolutely. So important. And it's like you said, to continue to lay the groundwork for more and more and more. So that is really critical. And that actually is a nice um, a, like transition to one of the things we wanted to talk about today, which is this concept. So these aren't officially speech acts, just to be clear. You know, these are all things like bits and pieces of strategies that I've ex- been exposed to or read and kind of put into this collection of ways that we can use our speech to motivate and inspire change. And so one of them is called is the yes and strategy. Have you have you heard of like yes and Tom? I have and um one of my they've been on the podcast before doing a couple of episodes with me and the very close collaborator uh LP when we worked together in healthcare um the improv rules uh, were things that she was really passionate about. So when we would facilitate teams and we would do kickoffs, she would play some improv games as part of the icebreaker. And um, one of the ground rules she would create for teams was the concept of yes and. She would, every time it would be a post-it note that she has a facilitator or um, an influencer, she maybe sometimes gets someone else on the team uh, like at the tables doing the work to suggest it. And it was, it's very powerful. Um, yes, I've, it is. I, I've seen it in action. I've seen how it helps teams and individuals feel safe in suggesting ideas. So yeah, I can't wait to go a little bit deeper on that one. Yeah. What, what else do we have? So we've got yes and, let's kind of unpack them. Okay, so you want to unpack. Then, so yes and, I want to talk more about that. Um, and then this concept of effective questions 
So your lean people will probably be like, yeah, I got that down on lockdown, you know, lockdown on effective questions. But I wanted to just, you know, talk quickly about that. Um, one of my favorites is the, the loose tight. Um, and you've probably heard of this one too. Um, also choice, the power of choice. And then the last one is assuming positive intent. Oh man. So the, we'd already kind of put a disclaimer and I'm going to do it again is our previous episode, those four that we nerded out about are classified as leadership speech acts. The authorities on that topic, uh, those are the, the walls are around those four things. Those are classified as speech acts. So we're not trying to blur that line. They're saying do we're saying do those and then also consider these other effective leadership strategies, right. which also leverage your language and your speech to uh, empower others, to shape a vision, to mobilize commitment and achieve things we probably wouldn't have been able to have accomplished had we not shape those things through our words. So these, yeah. these, what do we have here? Five, six, I can't, five. Uh, five, five more, yep, yep. five more tools to put in people's toolboxes today. I yes. can't wait. Fill them up. Let's, Let's fill them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with yes and. Okay, let's. Tell me the more reason, about yes and. Okay, I love this because it's a challenge for me. Like I am the kind of person that if I have a certain idea or um, a, an approach that I think we need to take to get somewhere and someone up and someone else pipes in and has something else to say, it's so easy for me to just shut it down and say, well, that's, Nice, but, and I, I am always using the word, but, you know, like that's great, but you know, you really, you're not seeing the light here. So <laughs> this one is just a personal challenge. And I think that's why it's one of my favorites because when you have to say yes, and you, it forces me to acknowledge some merit in that person's idea, some perspective that they bring to the table some angle in what they said that's not covered in the way I might be seeing it. And, um, and I think the beauty in that, I mean, it, it sounds really PC, but like the beauty is that if I can really truly get to a yes and mentality, that's actually going to increase my likelihood of success because now I have more buy-in, right? Like if, if you and I are brainstorming about something and elements of your ideas are thoroughly incorporated into our final product, you are way more likely to like that final product because, you know, you contributed to it. So there's buy-in there. So this concept of yes and is like transformational because it's a challenge to really be able to change an approach so that others, people's contributions and ideas are genuinely reflected in the final product and I can give some personal stories like um, I was once working on a team where there was somebody that had spent you know blood sweat and tears generating a certain approach to um, a, a problem that we were dealing with so this this guy you know very well respected guy had generated this approach and I came in uh, I was a little bit younger than he and newer to the team. And I had my opinions about that approach. Like I didn't think it was going to work. I had data to show that if we use that approach, we would fail. And so I had, you know, other ideas, ABC, like these are the other things that we can and should pursue because this one's going to fail. But I also realized that if I just did that, what I just said, I would fail. Because people matter, and it's not always only the data that matters in the success of the work that we're doing or whatever. So I needed to figure out how to get us away from this plan that would doom us all to failure, but to do it in a way that, you know, its owner would not um, be deflated and and for me also to be able to be successful in getting these new ideas in. So, it was a beautiful yes and because I had to take this existing idea, strategy, approach that 
that was in place and say yes. And instead of saying, but this is a disaster, I had to really have that yes. And, um, you know, let's add in like some of these other approaches that would make it successful. And, um, and at the end, we were successful. And it was because we didn't just destroy the existing, you know, infrastructure that wasn't working. We just did a yes and. We took it and we built it. And by the way, I mean, yes and is intended to be like a verbal thing where you're in a meeting and someone said something. And then instead of saying, but, mm-hmm. which kind of is like a pivot where you say there's something wrong with what you said and it's not what you should be thinking, you know, but yes and is like an acknowledgement, like, yes, you know, I affirm what you said. I hear you. I, I, I listened and I heard. And then you say, and, and now you're kind of connecting another idea to that idea. Uh, so it's, so I kind of like took that premise and kind of turned it into an entire way of doing work, but it's the same idea. It's this idea of a yes, which is affirming and accepting something. And then, and which is building on it instead of tearing it down. It's such a powerful tool, especially in improvement and when people are trying to problem solve and they're bringing forward because there's vulnerability in bringing forward an idea and you know not only can you kill by by doing the no but not only can you kill that idea right then and there but you could prevent and block that person from contributing in the future so this yes and um mindset that you adopt in the habit it's i've seen senior leaders when they come in to hear the report out after a team's done a week-long improvement effort and you know they've worked hard and they've got their recommendations and they're reporting out i've seen teams become completely deflated by the no but and then i've also seen leaders use this yes and and you hear it and you could just see that it starts that flywheel from i've heard i appreciate the work you just did i respect the ideas you're proposing and i'm adding resources and ideas and opening the the doors to you taking this idea out of this event and into operations and um you know from there hopefully that yes and mindset continues because when you take ideas out into the real world they never go the way you think they're going to, right? So they're going to have challenges and there's got to be continued refinement and collaboration and people adding their ideas to to help continue to see the idea forward and evolve it. So yes, and kind of gets it going and keeps it going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my mentor, Dennis, would talk about these upward spirals. So I love your analogy of like the flywheel because like, if you turn a flywheel, you know, and think about the upward spiral where one good thing is leading to another good thing and you're kind of going upwards as a team or in a project or uh, whatever it might be and upwards being kind of like an arrow up, which is our aim or, you know, people talk about like true north and yeah, having that kind of thing that we are all aspiring towards and working towards so i love that yeah i think it's so beautiful and we could take it one step further instead of it being like accomplishment oriented so upward has in getting a desired outcome or goal for your organization or the response you want to see in your metric you also have upward in regards to um individuals realizing their own capabilities, right? So you have Maslow's hierarchy in some ways is another upward. Um, Mm -hmm. So you, you know, through this yes and you're creating uh, psychological safety for them to bring their ideas and share their ideas. And then when they get the yes and they get the acknowledgement and the opportunity to collaborate. So now they have the sense of belonging and them in the group, they're collaborating and creating more than they could have ever created individually. So they're realizing their own potentials and they're moving upwards more towards self-actualization. So yes, and does it, yeah, it doesn't just help achieve goals. It helps people realize their own abilities. It's It's real powerful. Yeah. And if you think about that, you know, person achieving their own, you know, that self-actualization, the more that people have that, 
the more that they will be empowered and that I just feel like you're amplifying the energy of this team or group of individuals. And there's nothing like an individual understanding their own capacity and operating at full capacity, right? Like that is, um, I think the beautiful thing to see people really getting to the very, very maximum of their own individual capacity. That multiplier effect, right, is very significant in your organization's uh, ability to to continue to innovate and to take risks that no one else is willing to go after. So, you know, selfishly, from a business perspective, it makes sense to do yes and, but from a personal perspective, it you you really get to yourself benefit um, mm-hmm. the, the people around you you get to show that you trust them yeah there's just so many good things about yes yeah. and I, i'm glad so you unpacked this one first how are and, we going to top yes and with some of these other ones we're going i know <laughs> well the, so it's actually it's a nice segue to a couple of other ones so um so one is uh, the effective question because if you are in an environment, in a situation where you're having a hard time with the yes and, like, you know, maybe we're not, we don't seem to be on the same page, you know, we don't seem to see eye to eye on something. Like, effective questions is exactly what it sounds like. It's an opportunity to use your words to question. And why do we question? It's to understand, right? But doing that in an effective way. And so you can't just, there's so many ways you can use questions to shut people down, right? And so and I think an easy one is like, why did you do that? Like, not an effective question. Like, so trying to be um, positive with like your intention of act- asking the question to really seek to understand, to understand each other. And also sometimes to use questions with ourselves to understand. So. Uh, I, I know I talk about like my my mentor Dennis all the time. One of my other good mentors was Dr. Paul McGann. I mentioned him in our previous um, episode as well. And so he has an effective question, which is strikingly similar to the first episode of Daniel Tiger. I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger is like Mr. Rogers for the for this whatever this generation is that we're raising now. So Daniel Tiger has a song where he says, like, uh, if something goes bad, turn it around and find something good. Well, Dr. McGann has a question. We called it the McGann effective question. And his question was, what is good about the seemingly bad situation? So both Daniel Tiger and Dr. McGann, they are looking to take a bad situation or something that's, you know, not ideal, right? Like we are disappointed, something is not good at all. And trying to figure out how to deal with that setback or, you know, disappointment and flip it. So, because otherwise it has that potential to create the downward spiral we were talking about a few Mm -hmm. minutes ago. So how do we flip that around and turn it into an upward spiral? So that's something that I can do to ask, like like I said earlier with myself, but also to understand individuals around me to seek to understand like why they think something about a certain problem or solution and really dig. And, and Tom, I know you're lean folks. Mm -hmm. They're like the pros, right? Like they understand effective questions inside and out as a, as a QI tool. And they understand how to use effective questions to really get to the root I think people also call them the five whys, right? Yeah. yeah. Seeking to really understand, like drill, 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 drill down and really understand the why behind something. So that's this is one of my other kind of favorites in my toolbox. It is um, powerful for multiple reasons. Is One, it does stop, help to stop the downward spiral. It's this, because... Um, that it's easy for things to spin out of control when the team kind of feels everything's unraveling, but also even as an individual, you and your personal or professional life, that downward spiral, it it can really consume you. So um, I had a 
YouTube video or something I found on LinkedIn and it was someone talking like the best thing you can do in any situation that you don't think is going your way is to take a mental pause and say to yourself, this is the best thing that could possibly happen. So similar kind of, it's a, a gut check. It's a, hey, don't let things spin out of control, but stop and assess and ground yourself in reality and take inventory of what's happening. Um, but then, so it's got that mental pause, but then it also allows you to challenge your assumptions and the, maybe the biases you have to um, assess, you know, what's going on in a way that is um, more appropriate and less reactive, right? So it's, you're now present and now it becomes a dialogue to say, what are you assuming is going on or what are your concerns or what are your fears or what are your past experiences that are maybe hijacking you from preventing you from being effective when dealing with this new challenge we have mm -hmm. and reframing it from a problem to a challenge to say, actually, there could be something good here. Uh, and maybe we've been at this threshold before, but we've chose to retreat instead of walk through mm. and let's have a dialogue about what's going on and what what we can do together in order to continue to pursue the outcome we want yes yeah, so powerful and you talked about assumptions that's a really um important like element of this right because if you assume that like somebody that's on your team or somebody that you're working with is not smart <laughs> or you assume that they are trying to do something you know malicious that can really again like accelerate that downward spiral because without thinking and without realizing it that will affect our reactions to that person's ideas that person's you know perspective on things because we're assuming that they're coming from a bad place you know they're doing something on purpose, maliciously, or they're just mm -hmm. not smart. You know, like there's, these are dangerous assumptions. And so I really love the intentionality of fixing our assumptions. And so this is actually another tool. It's called assume positive intent. If you assume positive intent, by the way, just to be, you know, total negative nanny, like even if you're right, like let's say you find out in a year that that person really did have malicious intentions or whatever, it doesn't matter, but you've carried yourself through that year, that journey with integrity and, you know, made the best of the situation that, you know, done everything in your power to get things on that upward spiral. But assuming positive intent is so important. And this also can like, I think, I'll go out on a limb here and say like, this can save a lot of marriages. <laughs> <laughs> And this can also like save a lot of our um, fights with like our children sometimes where, you know, we make assumptions about why, you know, someone's arguing about something. They're not intending to be difficult. Like that's not their intention. They are dealing with their own emotions and their own challenges. And now I'm thinking about my toddler as I think about this. Um, same thing with the spouse thing. Like, we all know that we get into these downward spirals sometimes where we start to kind of think the worst of our spouses. But if we can really just take a second and mm -hmm. assume that that person has the best of our intentions and they're just trying to survive just like all of us, this can be so transformational, I think, and kind of letting some of our relationships heal. And again, I know I keep kind of going back and forth, but like work relationships, personal relationships. These are all the things that we deal with every day. And yeah. if we can figure out how to infuse some assumptions of positive intent into those relationships, I think it could really kind of give a fresh little breath of breath of air into those relationships. I uh, have had a great mentor and role model. Um, you know, we were working has a team of internal consultants and you know you would have people miss meetings or you'd have people resistant to change in your meetings or you would think you'd have consensus in a meeting and people would go out and um, you know you thought you had agreement and their behaviors or their action would be opposite of what you thought was agreed upon. Uh, so it was really hard 
to stay in that lane or, or at that higher level of thinking of the assume positive intent in their behaviors. And it took a, a consciousness um, to do that, to realize that that person has unique circumstances. You have to respect, um, you know, that. And, and, and then develop tools to have conversations with them to put yourself in their shoes, right? That's a really powerful part of this is to practice empathy for that other person and to put yourself in their shoes. Yes. You really can't put yourself in their shoes until you connect with them and have conversation with them about where they are and and to to be able to understand it. And I think Brene Brown does a good job um, with this. And she has a saying that I think is helpful is when you need to sit down and you are, you know, conflict's going to happen because things aren't going the way that you thought. And, you know, there's the relationship that you feel is starting to crumble a little bit. She always says that put, put it on you first is take accountability for whatever share of Mm -hmm. the situation. Um, So if, if in a meeting people aren't collaborating or maybe are a little bit resistant, maybe assume it was something you had done. Like maybe you failed to communicate the purpose of the meeting, why they were invited to the meeting first. Could you have done something better? Yeah. Um, Also, you know, if they leave, and aren't following up on action items that you thought the team agreed about, maybe you didn't effectively communicate it to them in the way that they like to be communicated. So there's a lot of um, look, looking inward first. Um, but even after you've done that, you know, there's, and you've gone through that development, sometimes you have to sit down and you have to have that conversation, a difficult or crucial conversation with that person. Yeah. And Brené still says to go and, and start with what about you? And her tool was the story I'm telling myself. So airing everything that you're feeling to say, hey, here's the situation and here's the story I'm telling myself about what's going on is I perceive like, hey, even if it's saying and mourning um, to a person in the office. So like you say your boss goes uh, down and says good morning to everyone and maybe not you and you have a little bit hurt feelings and when you go to talk to them about that you could say well the story I'm telling myself today is that um, I wasn't important to you or whatever and open it up and, and then from there that person will say no 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 like oh thank you for coming to me and telling me that that's how you feel like no I I had to be on a call at 8 15 and I just didn't have enough time to stop by so yeah. that, that positive intent it really does strengthen your relationships and it also leads to good growth in -hmm. relationships, but also personal growth to say, what can, what can I do better? What's my part of this situation? Yeah. And you know what I love about that is um, it's actually one of the other things I had written down here is choice. Like that takes a choice, a very intentional and conscious decision to say, I'm not going to believe that story that I'm not important to this person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge that. And so to take that and go to that individual and say, this is, this is how I feel. And this is why I feel this way. That is a conscious choice. It's an example of, um, again, the power that we have in how we decide to listen to that internal, you know, dialogue, monologue, whatever it is. And whether we listen to it or not, and whether we allow that to take us on a downward spiral or not. And I love that. Like there's a turning point there where if you continue to believe the lie and, you know, my assumption is that, that that's a lie, you know, that that person did not intend to not say hello to you in the morning. It was just an oversight, whatever. And, and so if you believe that lie, you've made a choice now, and that choice is going to take you down this path of constantly feeling, you know, unacknowledged, unimportant. And I just feel like that's just going to spew out of you in every meeting that you sit in with this person going Mm -hmm. forward. And it can really affect, you know, that like now this has become a toxic environment, not because the environment is toxic, because I have become toxic. Yeah, you've made that choice. Yeah, right, exactly, made that choice. So it's amazing how like, a choice, which is just me, myself, and I, you know, in that moment that I'm in bed before I, I get out of bed, like 
It can be the quietest of moments. And I decide to make a choice. And that can just turn the whole day around, you know, like it's, it's crazy. I love that. Yeah. Like that silent moment. This is again from my mentor who we worked together, um, but we also ran marathons together. So, you know, we would get up early on the coldest days when we didn't want to. And, uh, there was times where one of us wouldn't show up or, or whatnot. So he had read a book and I have, I forget what the book is, uh, maybe power of habits or something. And in there, it's like the five second rule of choice. So we all know the five second rule of, of food, but he said, once you think it, if you don't do it within five seconds, oftentimes you end up doing the opposite. So like getting up and running a speed workout or whatever, once you think it like, okay, it's cold outside and I don't really want to run, but I know I've made this commitment. If you then get up and you do it within five seconds, you're actually going to do it. Mm. But if you then make that decision not to do it after five seconds, like it pretty much the opportunity has passed. So there's that small window of there's choice. That's your decision. Um, but then there's action also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I've never heard of that five second rule of choice, but it makes sense because I think it's so fleeting, you know, like the time it takes to make the decision and make the choice and make it a positive one. It doesn't take energy. Like it, I mean, wait, I take that back. It does take energy, but I'm saying it doesn't take anything but a a thought. Like, and once you make that choice in your own mind, then the rest is history, as they say. Like, mm-hmm. it's just that five-second, you know, moment that it takes to say, I will assume positive intent or I will um, choose to have this conversation. I will be open to listening to what this person might mm-hmm. be going through, you know? And that choice is huge. It's so huge. Yeah. And, and I choose to put my shoes on and get out the door. There's a lot of um, components of your life where you have to make hard choices uh, or you can, you know, go that different way. And whether it's managing conflict or you you think of someone and you're like, I know they're going through hardship and it's kind of awkward to talk to them right now where I don't know what to say. Um, but if you say, but I'm going to do something, I'm going to reach out. So as soon as yeah. you make that up within five seconds, find your phone and get on the phone yes. with them. Right. Or happen. Yeah. Or, you know, draft that email or, you yeah. know, whatever. So it's decide and then do. And do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so beautiful. You know, choice can also be like choosing to stand up when you know, inertia, like I'm thinking of like a rushing river, you know, like river with lots of pressure, lots of force and all going in this direction. Mm -hmm. A choice could be that you decide I'm not going this way anymore. And you stand up and maybe you turn around and you face the rushing waters. That could also be a choice because sometimes that's what it feels like. Like you're in an, an interaction or in a situation where it just feels like inertia is just taking you this way. Yeah. Voice can make you stand up and say, stop, like pause for a second and turn it around and, you know, not necessarily allow it to just kind of take its own course. And I think that's what happens. Like emotions can feel like that river sometimes, right? Like if it's an emotionally charged conversation or it, whether this is a meeting or discussion interaction with the spouse or with a toddler again you can apply this in whatever it is that that you are in but maybe you feel that rush of a river sometimes and choice can be how you can stand up and turn around and turn that around so yeah I think it's really like something that can be applied even when it's hard even when it's difficult I so I'm going to try what you've already done like masterfully in each of the topics so far. So um, you've made this choice and 
uh, oftentimes once we make a choice to become something or to pursue something, we falter because that that thing we want to go after, like we put it on a pedestal or we target it in a way in which it's got to be perfect, right? So you've made a choice, but then you don't pursue it because you start to doubt your ability because maybe that something seems out of reach or um, as you pursue it, you want to do it in a way that's so good or so excellent that in the end you're like, you know, here it is. But reality is, is if you could make the decision to go after it, but be flexible mm-hmm. in what that outcome looks like and be a yes. little bit open-minded about that, that destination and to allow yourself to actually enjoy the journey as you get there. Right. That yeah. is a, that's, you know, that's also part of how we use our language or our thoughts to shape the future yes. and, and get people to go there with us is, you know, you, you need to know where you want to go to be directionally correct. But oftentimes that end result, if you're too tight on it, uh, you start to smother it a little bit, right? Like yeah. you take creativity yeah. out of the picture. So we have one more thing. This is if I segue to it, do I you feel it. like I've set it up okay? Okay, so this this is great. So it's the the tight loose. I know it sounds weird, but the loose on the how and tight on the what. So what that means is um, this is great for when you're trying to achieve a specific outcome. You know, you've got a goal, an end. Uh, you you know what your end goal is. It is so easy to have a very specific, perfect, straight shot way of getting there. Like to get from point A to point B, you just draw the straight line and this is the right way. And so for people like me, and you've probably taken all these personality tests and everything. Yeah. (laughs) My personality is like very logical, like to get from here to there, you do this. But uh, being loose on the how can be very effective because again, it's it's all about the buy-in that we talked about at the very top of the of the call where we were talking about the yes and and how powerful that is to allow other people to contribute and and like touch the final product and have their ideas incorporated in it so that they they can buy into it it's the same thing here you can be tight on the what like you know what needs to be the outcome the end goal but we don't all need to get there the same way it's like you were saying about the journey like you might have your own way about doing things as long as you get to the what, you know, you do it Tom's way. Same thing. Like for me, let me do it my way. So be loose on the how. And again, that's like increasing buy-in where people can figure out how they get to that outcome and to that end goal. You're getting them to buy into it. You're getting them to be a part of it, to let them enjoy their own journey to getting there. But again being tight on the what, because we've got an aim and that's what's unifying us is the what. So we know what it is, the end goal. And so, I mean, I, I love like watching my toddler get ready because I know how I get ready, like how I put my clothes on and put my socks and shoes on. And I taught her how to get ready, but she still mm-hmm. somehow in her four years of life has generated her own way of getting ready. So the what is like, I need her to be dressed and in the car. That's what I need. I don't really need to control like in what order she puts on like her clothes and how she does it. So I'm trying this loose tight thing. I'm trying this with my toddler to give her a little bit more independence and space to let her do things how she wants to do it. As long as I know that she will be dressed you know, appropriately and be in the car. That's what matters. Yeah. The, the, and then the, the, what, so sometimes it's so far out, it, it can be daunting in itself. So we were taught <clears throat> the power of threes is paint the picture for where you want to go in uh, three components that kind of add up two so there's like the beginning first stone you can step on the second and the third in kind of spoon feeding it 
um, so that people can kind of rationalize the ramp up, right? Like you'd said, like, oh, you kind of, maybe some people see it in a straight line. Uh, those, um, so disc profile, those people who see A to B and it's simple, you just have to do this. The oftentimes that is someone who has a D persona type of in dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, I is, I don't care how we get there. I'm just going to have a lot of fun with everyone who's going together and we're going to enjoy each other's company. Um, and then, you know, so the, those people have a little bit, they have some overlap and commonality, but they also then are a little bit different than the other profiles on the disc, which is the S and the C. So you have uh, steadiness and conscientious. So uh, steadiness wants to get a little bit of data and have some assurance uh, in where they're going and why, so that need to do the math equation to know that it's all gonna add up. And the C's um, kind of want the plan, right? They, they, they're the ones who think of things in threes. They're the, the great bullet points of, you do this, then this, then this, like they have the recipe right. um, kind of thing. So in that loose tight thing, you invite everyone to kind of be themselves and, and contribute. Like how I get things done is by bringing everyone together, but I'm, I don't decide. So uh, someone else is going to come in and their how is, you know, hey, we've we've circled it all and this is all the information we have. We cannot uh, do analysis paralysis. We have to make a decision kind of thing. So, yeah, that loose tight invites everyone to kind of bring them best selves to the problem solving approach of getting to where they all want to go together. That's beautiful. So everyone's contributing and nobody's perfect so nobody is well, except the eyes them. except the i mean eyes. Yeah. the eyes are obviously perfect okay so you're clearly an i <laughs> i think i might be a d i would think um i was going to type you as a d or a c just like how you organize your thoughts and stuff like i feel like you're definitely on that side of the wheel i think it depends on the circumstance it depends on the situation yeah But you're right. You're right. You're right. Because everyone's got something to contribute. So it could be a matter of personality. It could be a matter of the experience that we've gotten in life, right? Like all the things that we've done and, you know, the experience that's behind us. Um, It could be our, um, what else can we say? Like so many things about our talents and our skills that some of us have naturally. And some people have studied for years and years to, to understand and learn certain things. So we bring, we're, we are all such colorful palettes and we all bring so much to the table. So yeah. making sure that we see that and leverage that, I think is, I love that. I love that D-I-S-C. Yeah, when you're, and I think when you're loose on the how, as you were saying, you invite people to be all the whole range of, their uniqueness right versus right. when you're tight on that like you gotta you gotta be the puzzle piece that fits within that bigger picture but instead right. of you know it's a journey we're gonna discover it together and uh yeah. as we go we're gonna grow kind of thing yes absolutely and and then of course like as a leader that's where your opportunity you know being tight on the what your opportunity is there to create a compelling and motivational what, like the end product. But that still doesn't mean, you know, being tight on the what still doesn't mean that you don't practice yes and, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could still use yes and in being tight on the what, because we can be tight on the what, but still find ways to get different flavors into that what so that it increases everyone's buy in and increases motivation. And like you said, really. Um, leverages everyone on the team to be on that ship and be ready with, you know, we have to generally agree to where we're sailing. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So uh, you just brought it all back. So we were back to where we started with yes. And, and I've enjoyed this conversation with you just to recap it. We showcased episode 40. We encourage people to go check that out. And that's really where we dove deeper into the speech acts. There's four speech acts. And these that we talked about today, these five elements of yes and, effective questioning, 
assuming positive intent, giving choice or the power of choice, and then loose tight. Those are complementary leadership mindsets or tools or behaviors that continue to um, focus in on how we think, how we speak, how we use our language to motivate, connect, and drive collaboration to create a future that probably couldn't have existed had we not used those tools or put it out there. And, oh man, this I'm so glad it. we did a bonus episode on this. This Me was too. so much fun. Yeah. And I love too that these are tools that I can use everywhere. Like it's not work specific and it's not like, you know, specific to anything. Like you can use this in your workplace, but you can also use this at home. If one person can make a difference, that one person can be me and it can be in how I raise my children. It can be through my marriage and it can be through my, my work as well. What a way to make an impact. Oh man. So I know in episode 40, as we closed out, you aired your contact information and how to get a hold of you. Uh, but I want to revisit that. What are the best ways for individuals to connect with you, Mary? All right. You guys can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, last name is Andrawis, A-N-D-R-A-W-I-S. So look me up on LinkedIn, or if you're interested, you can check out my website. It's seraphinahealth.com. And that's Serafina with an F like in Frank. Thank you so much for being my guest on this bonus episode and also you, on Tom. episode 40. It was a blast. It was a blast. I really appreciate it.